Good morning. Happy Easter. I wonder what the first thing is that most people think about when it comes to Easter. Maybe uh, a long weekend, a couple of bank holidays, guaranteed to rain non-stop if you go to the coast. And then maybe after that, chocolate, and more specifically, chocolate eggs. I did a bit of academic research, otherwise known as Googling, and apparently the first chocolate Easter egg was made by Fry and Sons in 1873. That's the same people who make the Turkish Delight and the chocolate cream. And the Fry's were Quakers, as were John and Carol Wimber originally, who started the vineyard. As Michael Caine would say, not a lot of people know that. So 1873 was a very big year for Easter eggs, but just to show that every silver lining has a dark cloud, it was also the year that Horlicks came on the market. Originally under the very catchy brand name of Diastoid. And it was advertised as excellent for infants, invalids, the aged and travelers. They really knew how to sell something in those days, didn't they? But back to uh, the present day. So let me ask you, who has bought a chocolate Easter egg this year? Okay, who's already eaten some this morning? And who let their children have Easter egg for breakfast? Shame on you. (laughs) Looks like we need to run another parenting course pretty quick. I won't ask who's had Horlicks already this morning, way too much information. But another thing that people often think about when it comes to Easter would be the Easter Bunny. Did you know that there is a website where you can send him your own personal message? So I need to ask you this question. Has anyone here actually sent a personal message to the Easter Bunny and willing to admit it? Lady at the back. Thank you for your honesty, madam. Uh, Personally, I would recommend prayer to start with, but obviously you'd expect me to say that. But you know, hopefully the other thing that people would think about when it comes to Easter is the resurrection of Jesus. So what's the connection between Easter eggs, the Easter bunny, and Jesus' resurrection? Well, in one sense, nothing at all. Except that these things that we associate with Easter are all about new life. The egg symbolizes new life. Anyone who knows anything at all about bunny rabbits knows that they specialize in new life. (laughs) And the resurrection is also, of course, about new life. Our word Easter comes from a Saxon word, estra, from which we get estrogens or estrogens, the reproductive hormones. But when the early Christians chose a symbol for their faith, they didn't choose an egg or a bunny rabbit. They chose a cross, which seems a bit odd, doesn't it, when the cross is actually all about death. But of course, that cross isn't the end of what happened at Easter. We remember Jesus' death on Good Friday, but on Easter Sunday, we remember his resurrection. And that's because if there was no resurrection, there would be no Christianity. Jesus would just be one more in a long line of dead heroes from history. 
When the Apostle Paul wrote to one of the early churches in a city in Corinth, he said, If Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. There are many reasons why our preaching may be useless, of course. Just ask anyone who comes here regularly. But what he's saying is no resurrection equals no Christianity. What we call the Gospels in the New Testament are the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life, the first four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they're biographies. They're drawing together the stories and the teachings from people who knew Jesus personally. And they all describe the crucifixion and the resurrection. And they all talk about people meeting with Jesus after the resurrection. Not a vision of Jesus or a dream or a paranormal encounter, but a real life person. A resurrected Jesus who spent time with them and walked with them and talked with them and even ate meals with them. On one occasion, Jesus cooked breakfast for them. And we're not just talking about a few of his closest friends here. We're talking about hundreds of people over a period of 40 days, about six weeks. People sometimes ask me, how did the early church decide what should be in the Bible and what should be left out? And the main criterion that they used was really simple. It was whether the person who wrote it had known Jesus personally. Were they an eyewitness of what happened? Did they know Jesus during his life and spend time with him after the resurrection? Now you may say, well, maybe his friends all got together and decided to make it all up and all stick to the same story. And yeah, that could happen, I guess. But those disciples were so convinced that Jesus was who he said he was that all of them were willing to give their lives for it. Now, it's one thing to say that, of course, but it's something else to see it through. But that is what happened. They were tortured and killed because they refused to lie about what they'd seen and what they knew, that Jesus had risen from the dead. For them, the resurrection changed everything. When Jesus was arrested, all his friends ran away. It wasn't just Judas who famously let him down. They all abandoned him at that moment. Even the closest friends like Peter. That evening that Jesus was arrested, Peter lied to people three times about even knowing Jesus. The disciples had spent about three years traveling around with him seeing the miracles and the healings and listening to him speaking and experiencing firsthand his love and his kindness and his compassion for people. They knew him really well as a friend and as a person. But at that moment, they thought that it was all over when Jesus was arrested and sentenced to death. You may say, well, maybe those Roman soldiers made a mistake when they crucified him. Maybe Jesus wasn't really dead after all. Maybe he survived that torture and the crucifixion and that spear that they pierced the side of his body with to double check that he was dead. 
Maybe the people who embalmed the body and wrapped it in cloths like a, like a mummy, maybe they made a mistake as well. Maybe Jesus was up and about again, right as rain after three days in the tomb with no food, no water and no medical treatment. Walking around after that just as if he'd never been crucified in the first place. Maybe, but I think it takes a lot of faith to believe that. I think those soldiers who did the execution knew exactly what they were doing because they were pretty good at it. The Roman legions crucified at least 30,000 people. They knew what death looked like. They didn't make mistakes. For those disciples, the reality of the resurrection changed everything. So much so that all but one of them were martyred for their faith. And the reason they were killed? Because they'd seen Jesus die, but they just spent the best part of six weeks with him 100% alive again three days after. And they wouldn't keep quiet about it, which upset a lot of very powerful people. Even under torture and the threat of death, those disciples wouldn't deny, they couldn't deny the resurrection. Because if you really knew who Jesus was and you knew that it had happened, how could you? Jesus' friend Peter was crucified. His brother Andrew was hanged. Thomas, the one we call Doubting Thomas, was tortured and burned alive. Philip was tortured and crucified. Matthew was beheaded. Nathaniel was flogged and then crucified. James was thrown off the walls of the temple and then beaten to death. Simon was crucified. Thaddeus was beaten to death. Matthias was stoned while being crucified. And Paul was beheaded in Rome by the Emperor Nero. John is the only one who died a natural death, although some accounts say that he was thrown in boiling oil, which obviously would have scarred him for life. All of that is a heavy price to pay for a religion that you've invented with your mates. Any one of them could have saved themselves by denying Jesus' resurrection. Now you may say, well, why should we take the Bible's word for all this? Well, one good reason is because when they wrote what they wrote, they had no idea that it would end up in something called the Bible. Even if we ignore that completely, there's at least 19 other writers from that period who mentioned Jesus, people who had no vested interest, including the Roman historian Tacitus and the Jewish historian Josephus. There's more documentary evidence about Jesus than there is for Alexander the Great. Everything we know about him comes from five sources. None of them were eyewitnesses. The main account of his life was written 400 years later. The biographies of Jesus' life are first and second generation. Another good reason is that you wouldn't base a new religion on the idea of a crucified God if you didn't have to. In the ancient world, that would have sounded totally ridiculous to everyone, especially to Jewish people suffering under the Roman Empire. They were expecting a Messiah who would deliver them, not one who would die for them. 
Crucifixion in those days was reserved for slaves and people rebelling against Rome as a deterrent to make an example of people. How could a Jewish rabbi dying like that be any kind of victory, they wondered. How could our God be in that? It's humiliating for us and humiliating for our God, just as the Romans intended it should be. If you were Jesus' disciples, this is not the kind of story that you would make up. Marcus Borg says, some judgments are so probable as to be certain. For example, Jesus really existed and he really was crucified, just as Julius Caesar really existed and was assassinated. We can, in fact, know as much about Jesus as we can about any figure in the ancient world. Richard Burridge was Dean of King's College London when I was there. He says, there are those who argue that Jesus is a figment of the church's imagination, that there never was a Jesus at all. But I have to say, I don't know any respectable critical scholar who says that anymore. So if we're willing to accept what the historians say about Jesus, the only question is, who was he? The great C.S. Lewis of Narnia fame, the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, he says this, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Now, I'm not personally convinced that a poached egg is the best way of saying that. But C.S. Lewis has sold a lot more books than I have, so we'll give him the benefit of the doubt. He continued, Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. The fact that Jesus' friends all abandoned him when he was arrested gives us a, a bit of a clue that who Jesus was wasn't exactly obvious to them during his lifetime. And that's because Jesus was so authentically human. They obviously spent a lot of time talking about it quietly amongst themselves. I mean, they, they could see that he was an amazing human being. But we say that about quite a lot of people, don't we? He was clearly a real human being in every way. Except that, Somehow he didn't have a bad side. He didn't have a dark side. He just didn't do stuff that was wrong. And despite the incredible things that Jesus said and did, things that no one else had ever done before, he didn't say very much about himself. He wasn't into self-promotion. It was always all about other people. It wasn't all about him. It was obvious that God was with him. You could say that God was in him in a very unique way. But who was he? One day Jesus decides to ask them directly. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, 
Others say Elijah. Others say one of the prophets. In other words, one of the great men in Jewish history come back. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? I can imagine a a really awkward silence at this point and them looking at each other and nudging each other. Go on, you say it, you ask him. And then Peter plucks up the courage to say what they've all been thinking. You're the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And did you notice that there's two questions here? The first one is, Who do people say I am? Which is kind of an academic question, isn't it? Like you might get in a pub quiz or an opinion poll. But that was just the starter for 10. The big question, the rubber hits the road question, was what about you? Who do you say I am? Because ultimately that's what all of this is about. It's not what other people say, it's What do you say? Because if the disciples were right about who Jesus was, then he's going to be asking all of us that question one day. In fact, he's already asking us that every day. And Easter is a great time for us to think about answering him. Because as we were saying at the beginning, Easter is all about new life. Not just for bunny rabbits and not just for Jesus in his resurrection, but for all of us as well, if we want it. Jesus' invitation to us is new life. His kind of new life that he invites us to share in. When people ask me what I do, sometimes they say, So it's your job to get people to believe in God. Maybe it is, but I've never really thought about it like that. Because I think that people either believe that there's a God, more likely than not, or they don't. So my job isn't to change that. My job is to explain to people who do sense that there is a God why the Christian understanding of who that God is and what he's like is the one that, to me, makes the most sense when it's understood well. The God who didn't just sit in heaven far away from all the messiness and the tragedies of human life, but came to us as one of us to share in it with us. The God that we see in Jesus. The Jesus who came to make it possible for life to begin again. A life with him instead of life without him. When someone becomes a Christian, they become a brand new person inside. They are not the same anymore. A new life has begun. Starting now and continuing for eternity. Because the question that Jesus asks us is a life question for now, not a death question for later. Jesus' resurrection on Easter Sunday changed everything for his friends. And it can change everything for you and me as well. 
Easter eggs are great. Bunny rabbits are great. Even Horlicks is okay. But none of them is what Easter is all about. The message of Easter is that through Jesus, for every single one of us, life can begin again. Starting today, if we wanted to.